Heart of Markness. There, I have a theme song. Hi, welcome to the Heart of Markness podcast. I'm Mark. This is episode four of a zillion. This will never end. Um, sorry for the delay. It's been a month since the last update, and uh, I apologize for that. I try and get things out every two weeks. It didn't happen this time. Uh, the topic this week, which is Jimmy Page in 1984, uh, turned out to be a lot bigger than I first anticipated. I mean, I, I kind of knew what he had done, but it took me a while to source some of the material because uh, I try to listen to everything that I talk about so that I can talk about it, you know, firsthand from experience and not just read it off a list. You know, Jimmy Page played X. It was good. I, I try to listen to it so I can say, oh, Jimmy played this. Oh, and it was really cool. The recording may suck, but the performance is great, etc. You know, and just try and make it a little more honest and have a little more integrity and... Um, juice, I guess. So, anyways, apologies for the wait. Here I am. I hope you are still with me. I want to say thank you to all the people that have commented and emailed. I really appreciate hearing from you guys. It warms my heart immensely and gives me a great feeling of fellowship to, you know, hear from people who listen to the podcast and liked it and, you know, hold that sacred um it's something special it means a lot it has an emotional connection and in the in the way i guess sports fans of which i am not one you know feel about their team if you're a yankees fan or a red sox fan um there are no other teams as far as i know then you know you root for your team and you have that sense of community and people from all walks of life who otherwise have nothing in common you know can bond over that and and music is is like that and it makes me really happy and gives me a sense of satisfaction to hear from you guys you know that my podcast made you happy or or reminded you of a really good time in your life so thank you very much keep the comments coming um i drink them in they strengthen me so thank you so much and i also want to thank uh Brian Gardner of the Ramble on Radio podcast which is the only Led Zeppelin podcast on this or any other internet he has been very generous in giving me shout-outs on his podcast, and he contacted me immediately after, after the very first episode uh, with, with praise and an offer of, of support and mentorship, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I just want to tell everybody that there is plenty of room on the internets for both our, bro our podcasts. This is not a dedicated Led Zeppelin podcast like his. Um, I'm more a Jimmy Page podcast, so although there will be some overlap, um, you know, there is no competition. He has been doing this a zillion years. I'm a fan of his and have been forever. So, you know, I, I'm glad to supplement the content on the Internet. And I thank him for his support and his mentorship and for the hundred plus episodes that he's put out. So thanks, Brian. You're great. You do good things, and you make the world a better place. Now, on to Jimmy Page in 1984. Okay. 
As you know, if you've been listening to my podcasts, and of course you have been listening to my podcast, what else would you be doing? Are you seeing other podcasts? Who is it? Is it that whore? Anyway, so, Jimmy Page, 1984. Ever onward. Jimmy Page was a very busy boy in 84. He was fresh off the rejuvenating uh, experience of the ARMS tour. The last date of that was December 9th in 1983, and he immediately started looking for drummers for and bass players for the new band that he wanted to start with, Paul Rogers, who, as you know, was the singer for Bad Company and sang with Jimmy on the American leg of the ARMS tour. So in January, January 22nd, 1984 specifically, Jimmy went down to Nomus Studios in London to just basically jam with uh, some drummers, two of which were Rat Scabies from The Damned, that's right, and Bill Bruford from King Crimson and Yes. Now that's quite the polarity. Um, there is a tape of some of these sessions and jams, and they are just that. It's just straight-up jamming. Um, I believe the bass player is uh, Pino Palladino, who Jimmy wanted for the firm, but Pino was, um, he was Paul, not Paul Rogers, Paul, 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 some Paul <laughs> that I can't remember right now, uh, singer, shit, that's going to drive me bonkers, hang on, through the magic of electronics, we're going to erase all this, and I will sound like a brilliant man. Paul Young, it was Paul Young, I knew that. I certainly didn't hit pause and check my phone. Yes, Paul Young, the guy that sang, uh, Why don't you come back? Please hurry, why don't you come back? Please hurry. You know that song? If you don't, you're not missing much, and if you do, whatever. Anyway, Pino Palladino was the bass player for Paul Young. And interestingly enough, there's quite a connection between Pino Palladino and our previous podcasts. I just found out by looking at Wikipedia on my phone. Um... He, after the firm broke up, Paul Rogers and Kenny Jones, the drummer for The Who and The Faces, formed a short-lived band called The Law, for which Pino Palladino was their bass player. So, apparently Paul Rogers liked Pino as well as Jimmy, and after the firm, had him as his bass player. And the thread, the connections to the other podcast topics are as follows. Stick with me. Kenny Jones the drummer for The Who after Keith Moon died, and he was also the drummer for The Small Faces and The Faces, both of which contained Ronnie Lane, who was the subject of The Arms Tour, and the subject of our second episode podcast. So there's that connection there, as well as the thread going forward to The Law post-firm with Paul Rogers, and Pino Palladino became the full-time, well, however full-time it is, bass player for The Who after the unfortunate death of John Entwistle. So we have a nice little bow of connections. And one of these days, I'm going to go just full-on breakdown, meltdown, and have the little newspaper clippings and pictures thumbtacked to my wall with the bits of string connecting them all, you know, finally proving that the Illuminati's behind it all. Um, but until then, we'll have a nice little podcast. Okay. Sorry, lots of deviations. So, January 1984, Jimmy is uh, auditioning members for the firm. There is a tape of that. Um, the stuff, I can't really delineate who's who. I can pretty much tell who Rat Scabies is by what they're playing. 
because Ratzgabies plays like a punk drummer. Um, Bill Bruford, it's hard to tell. I'm glad he didn't hook up with Jimmy because I, I can't see them working together. And plus, Bill tends to play a lot of the top kit, and Jimmy, you know, as seen with, with Bonzo in Zeppelin, you know, really, really likes that, that bottom end. He likes that bass drum groove. So I'm glad they did not end up working together, although it probably would have been interesting. But it resulted in uh, about 30 minutes or so of uh, low fidelity, you know, obviously kind of a boombox situation recording, which is all you would need, uh, of, the situa- of the sessions, rather. And uh, here's a little piece of it. It's, it's uh, about a six-minute chunk of Pino Palladino, Jimmy Page, and I don't know who the drummer is. The only two drummers I know that he auditioned were Rat Scabies and Bill Bruford. This doesn't sound like either one of them, but if it has to be one of them, I would say it's uh, Bruford. But anyways, it's about six minutes long, and if it kills you, fast forward till I start talking again. And if it doesn't kill you, enjoy it. Um, I think you're gonna. I think you will enjoy it. It's Jimmy, um, fresh off the Arms tour. I like the tone. He's got the the B bender Telecaster, but not all the effects that he you know layered and kind of muddied his sound with later with the firm, which if you listen to this podcast, know is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. So here it is, a little taste or about a six minute taste of Jimmy Page jamming with Pino Palladino and maybe Bill Bruford in January of 1984. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Did you enjoy it like I asked you to? Did you? Well, I hope so. It's some pretty neat stuff. Um, I'm going to try and put a link to that jam tape on on the website, which is heartofmarkness.com. And um, there's already, I've got like, I think, 550 words written. So you can check out that site. It's a nice addendum to this podcast. 
there's stuff on the on the website that I'm not putting in the podcast, like sessions that he did and stuff that just won't fit. So definitely check it out. Anyway, that is Jimmy in January of 1984, fresh off of his Let's Get Our Shit Together tour from the Arms Tour, and it's working. He's off the heroin, and although he's still a rock and roll party animal, um, he is uh, no longer a junkie, which is great. So he got... uh, Here's what I'm curious about. I'm sorry, I'm reading my own notes. You're like, what are, why am I listening to this? I'm listening to you do nothing. No, I am doing things. Um, I was wondering how Chris Slade came into this, because Chris Slade became the drummer for the firm, and um, in my research, I discovered that Jimmy had called him and said, hey, I want you to do this project with Paul and I, and literally just minutes before Jimmy called, David Gilmore had called him and said, hey, I want you to be my drummer for this tour I'm doing. Um, Gilmore put out an album called About Face and was touring with it. And in fact, there's a home video, not a home video, but you know what I mean, a professional video of one of the shows from that tour that you could probably see on YouTube, and you'll see Chris as his drummer, and Roy Harper comes out and sings some stuff. It's good. You should watch it. Anyway, Chris has to tell Jimmy, you know, I would love to, but uh, Dave Gilmore just called, and I just committed to a three-month tour, after which there was a long pause, and Jimmy said, okay, we'll wait which is cool. And what I was thinking during that pause when you were like, what the hell am I listening to this for? I was trying to figure out whether Chris had auditioned with Jimmy and maybe that was him on the tape. And then Jimmy decided, hey, we want you. Or if Jimmy decided he wanted him from just knowing him from uh, his previous stuff. I think Chris had done an album with Uriah Heep, but who hadn't? Um, Manfred Mann's Earth Band. And, you know, I'm sure Jimmy just knows people from around. So that's what I was thinking. I would have to guess that he jammed with Chris Slade because <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that on the microphone, but it is, uh, I have my windows open cause it's hot as balls here and an ice cream truck is going by. And if you can hear it playing Turkey in the straw, you know, I'm sorry if it's distracting. It just gave me a momentary little adrenaline rush from childhood ice cream, man. But, uh, nope. I'm a professional. I will stick with it. I won't buy a $3 shitty Powerpuff Girl ice cream bar. So, well, we're through January, nine hours into this podcast. Um, Let's move ahead to February 1984. In February, all I have for Jimmy is that in New York City, Glenn Johns had a birthday party. Uh, Glenn Johns being uh, the producer of the Arms Tour, along with uh, the engineer on Zep One, and just a famous, famous, famous producer. Uh, New York City had a birthday party with Eric Clapton, Charlie Watts, John Entwistle, uh, and Louis Bertignac of Telephone, and Jimmy Page. They all jammed together, and I know nothing else about it because I can't even find a photograph of that event. I just saw one listing um, from one of the websites, I think it might have been Royal Orleans, or might have even been Zeppelin.com, of people trying to tabulate everything Jimmy had done. So, sometime in February, Jimmy did that with Eric Clapton. Now remember that, February, Eric Clapton, because within the next five months of 1984, Jimmy will have played with all three members of Cream. Not at the same time, because then Cream, the noun, would have been Cream, the verb, because it would have been fucking incredible. Anyway, 
Moving along. In March of 84, he recorded the Honey Drippers EP with Robert Plant, Jeff Beck, Niall Rogers, and Ahmet Erdogan, the owner of Atlantic Records. Now, Ahmet Erdogan did the arrangements, I believe, for the Honey Drippers, and he also produced it. And this was a project that Ahmet himself wanted done. He wanted Robert to put out a crooner album. He heard Robert as a crooner and said, listen, if you do this, you know, it'll be huge. And Robert's like, I don't want to do that, because if you remember in the 80s, immediately after Led Zeppelin, everybody that was in Led Zeppelin was in the, I was never in Led Zeppelin phase of their life, not playing or acknowledging Zeppelin. And Robert was very much like, I'm a solo artist. And he was. But um, to his chagrin, the Honey Drippers, which he recorded out of respect and love for Amit, and the music, let's not forget, uh, was easily the biggest hit of his career. Sea of Love, Rockin' at Midnight, huge, huge hits. Now, Jimmy played the solo on Sea of Love, which is pretty obvious if you listen to it. And um, even if you think you're burnt out on it because you heard it and saw that video a trillion times in the 80s, go back and give it another listen. I've got the video posted on my website, uh, heartofmarkness.com, and it's really good. It's good to revisit this stuff. It's a beautiful, beautiful guitar solo and a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's nice seeing Robert and Jimmy together again because, you know, throughout the 80s, they were contentious and at each other's throats, kind of the way they are now. Um, And Jimmy was also on Rockin' at Midnight, jamming with Jeff Beck. And there's a photograph of the three of them together, Robert, Jimmy, and Jeff, during that time, and it's happy to see. Jimmy's uh, still looking a little rough, but he's pulling it together. So, Honey Drippers. And then we move along to April 1984. I'm sorry, I had to pause for a second because uh, it looked like I wasn't recording and I was going to lose my mind. But I am, so I will keep my mind. So April and May of 1984, Jimmy is recording the album Whatever Happened to Yugula with Roy Harper. And he recorded this at Roy's 24-track studio, The Boiler House. And uh, as you probably know, Jimmy had been a longtime fan and collaborator with Roy. He had recorded on at least two other albums in the early 70s with him. And he and Roy were uh, kind of at similar points in their lives. Roy's life was a little bit of a wreck. He, I guess he had just lost his house. And... Um, They were both very, very into the rock and roll lifestyle. Lots of cocaine, lots of booze, lots of fun. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, Jimmy went with Roy and recorded a quite good album, which you should listen to and buy and own. And, I don't know, rub it all over your naked body. It's good. One of my favorite tracks from it is called Hangman, which is absolutely brilliant. And um, it's literally sung from the point of view of a guy walking up to the gallows to die. And it's, it's brilliant. I have the album uh, embedded, a YouTube embed, on my website if you want to scrub through it and listen to it. Or you could just buy it. It's great. Trust me, it's brilliant. And then in May... 1984, on the 5th and the 6th of May, Jimmy finally goes back to his own goddamn studio, Soul Studios, and plays on three tracks of Stephen Stills' album, Right By You. 
Now this one is kind of the sleeper of the bunch because most Zeppelin fans, um, even the fairly casual ones, know about the Honey Drippers, know about the Firm, and even know about the Roy Harper stuff, if you're old enough and you were there when it happened. Um, but the Stephen Still stuff flew under a ton of people's radars. I knew because I'm brilliant. No, I knew simply because I worked in a record store and would uh, flip through the cutout bins all the time looking for cool shit. And for some reason, I read the back of the Stephen Stills album and saw Jimmy Page had been credited and grabbed it. Um, I did not like it at the time because I was a punk and I hated everything that was not Led Zeppelin that Jimmy had done. I revise that now. Go back and listen to those. I have all three tracks from that album on my website. However, they will not play on my website. You have to go to YouTube to listen to them. It's a piece of cake. You just click the video and then click the YouTube link on the screen when it says, we cannot allow you to play this. Play on YouTube. Do that. It's totally worth it. Jimmy's playing is nice. All three songs have three different styles. It's brilliant to hear. It's really high energy and good stuff. I, I, it, it totally makes me reevaluate Jimmy in this period. His chops were back, and if you, if you consider it, I mean, we're now we're moving into June of 84, and we have six solid months of continual playing all across the spectrum of music. So he's really working hard to get his chops back and get his shit together and put a band together in a project. It makes me happy. In uh, the beginning of June 1984, June 5th, he played at a benefit for the recently deceased blues musician Alexis Corner, who was foundational for the blues movement of the early 60s that, you know, brought about the Yardbirds and the Stones and everybody and the whole British invasion thing. Alexis had died earlier that year and uh, they were doing some benefits I don't know how it's going to benefit him when he's dead, but I'm sure it did. And they called themselves the Alexis Light Orchestra, but it was essentially Ian Stewart's band, who uh, Ian Stewart, the, the piano player for the Rolling Stones, uh, his band called Rocket 88. And it had Charlie Watts, drummer for the Stones, Ian Stewart, Jack Bruce, bass player for Cream, uh, Ruby Turner, Paul Jones, not John Paul Jones, and Jean Picard, not Jean-Luc, just John. Don Weller and Dick Hextel Smith. They played a uh, benefit gig in Nottingham, and I have that embedded on my website. You can click and listen to it. I think it's about 45 minutes. It's a radio broadcast, and it's good. It's rough. It's obvious. It's it's rough in the way of under rehearsed and kind of thrown together. Rough. It's not rough like ah Jimmy was wasted. He was terrible. And we're going to encounter more of that as he does these throwaway, I'll show up and play gigs. Uh, but it's an, it's an entertaining listen. And the very first song they go to, which is Bring It On Home, not the Led Zeppelin Bring It On Home, but um, another, another song of the same title. Jimmy plays some tasty stuff. It's good to hear him. And uh, if you look at the website, I have uh, my website... At the top of this post, there's a little gallery of photos, all of which are Jimmy in 1984. And if you see a little black and white one of Jimmy with just like a short, regular, normal haircut with his guitar, that's him at that gig. He had cut his hair because, um, I don't know, he cut his hair. Later on that month in June, Jimmy goes to Germany and gets on stage with the band Yes! 
which brings us to the subject of episode three, the XYZ sessions with Chris Squire and Alan White. And so he gets on stage with his old almost bandmates and jams with Yes on the Beatles song, I'm down, I'm really down, I'm down, down on the ground. You know that one? How can you laugh when you know I'm down? And here's what bugs me. That show was professionally filmed, recorded, and released. You can you can get that show on DVD now, that entire concert. This is the 90125 tour that went on for 8 million years because the album was huge. Um, this whole show was filmed. This song and Jimmy do not appear on that video. I know it's an encore, but somewhere that has to still exist, and it just pisses me off that it's not out. This is an audience recording that... I'm going to play for you, so you know, put on your bootleg ears. It, it, it's a little muddy. If you're listening to this in the car, I don't know. Bear with me. It's a nice performance of the song. Jimmy plays some badass stuff. I mean, with that Telecaster, he's playing kind of... Um, he kind of plays like, you know, the solo on Ozone Baby on Coda? That's kind of how he's playing, which is good. It's just a different tone, and he uses that B-bender to great effect. So here we are. Jimmy Page, and yes, performing a Beatles song, I'm Down. I hope you enjoy it.
Hey guys, how did you like that? Jimmy Page and yes, pretty impressive, huh? Sounds like fun. I only wish it was available in a uh, clearer, more dynamic recording because that one was a little rough on the ears. But um, I'm making a an executive decision here. We're 48 minutes into the podcast and I just finished June of 1984. So what I'm doing, I have the rest all recorded and ready to go. I'm splitting this up into a two-part podcast because uh, nobody wants to listen to a 90-minute podcast. I'm not Dan Carlin. This is not, you know, Dan Carlin's history, hardcore history podcast, which you should listen to because it's fucking great. Um, So I'm going to leave off here. And uh, next week, I am going to publish part two. But until then, let this be uh, it. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell I'm winging this. I literally just grabbed the mic and I'm just speaking into it like I'm a game show host. So, um, yeah, we'll finish up July and the rest of 1984 on the next podcast, which, as I said, I've got everything recorded, so it's just ready to go. So I... uh, I may post both, or I may just wait a week or something. But in any case, it won't be a very long wait. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. If you like me, subscribe. If you really like me and want to help out, there's um, you, you can leave a review on iTunes. And I guess the way that they, they establish relevance for podcasts is through reviews. So even if you write, I hate it, you know, suck my balls or whatever. I guess it still helps. It still gives me relevance and it says, oh, people care about this. So the more reviews, the uh, more, the higher up I appear. And, you know, I'm down in the dregs now. So anything will help. I'd really appreciate it. And uh, one of these days, I think I'm just going to put a PayPal button up on the site. And if you want to kick me a buck or two or whatever, buy me a beer, buy me a coffee for the podcast, that would be welcome. No obligation to. And, um, all right, I will see you in a week. Adios.